Um, good morning. For those who haven't met me, my name is Elizabeth. Um, I'm going to be reading from Ezekiel chapter 25, verse 1 to 17. Um, you can have a Bible from the back of the room, and if you're using the church Bibles, it's page 695. It's also going to be behind me on the screen. A prophecy against Ammon. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to them, hear the word of the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you said, aha, over my sanctuary when it was desecrated and over the land of Israel when it was laid to rest and over the people of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, I'm going to give you to the people of the east as a possession. They will set up their camps and pitch their tents among you. They will eat your fruit and drink your milk. I will turn rubber into a pasture for camels and Ammon into a resting place for sheep. Then you will know that I am the Lord. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet, rejoicing with all the malice of your heart against the land of Israel. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and give you a splendor to the nations. I will wipe you out from among the nations and exterminate you from the countries. I will destroy you, and you will know that I am the Lord. A prophecy against Moab. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because Moab and Sehi said, Look, Judah has become like all the other nations. Therefore, I will explore the flank of Moab, beginning at its frontier towns, Beth, Jeshimoth, Bahau Mion, and Kirithaim, the glory of that land. I will give Moab along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession, so that the Ammonites will not be remembered among the nations, and I will inflict punishment on Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. A prophecy against Edom. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Because Edom took revenge on Judah and became very guilty by doing so. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will stretch out my hand against Edom and kill both men and beasts. I will lay it west and from Teman and Dedan they will fall by the sword. I will take vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel and they will deal with Edom in accordance with my anger and my wrath. They will know my vengeance, declares the Sovereign Lord. A prophecy against Philistia. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Because the Philistines acted in vengeance and took revenge with malice in their hearts and with ancient hostility sought to destroy Judah. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am about to stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will wipe out the Kerithites and destroy those remaining along the coast. I will carry out great vengeance on them and punish them in my wrath. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. Well done with all those names, Elizabeth. Uh, good job. Hi friends, as I said before, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraka. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. I want to start by telling you a story about when I, not long after I moved out of home, um, <clears throat> I was renting a house with a bunch of other guys 
And there was trouble in the kitchen this one morning. See, one of my housemates had realized that the dishwasher was full. And being a good housemate, thought, I'll put this on. But the only problem was there was no, none of the dishwashing powder there anymore. So not wanting to do the wrong thing, wants to do the right thing. So he looks around the home and he finds something he thinks will work as a good substitute. The laundry powder. So he fills up the dishwasher with laundry powder, turns it on. Now, <clears throat> I came home about, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour after he'd done this. And things were in panic mode. The, the, the suds, the soaps had, had started to seep through all around the dishwasher and fill up the kitchen. They were everywhere. Bubbles were invading the space. And there was my housemate with buckets trying to pick up these soaps huds and just throw them outside somehow until our kitchen was overtaken by bubbles. That day I learned something. Uh, kids, young fellas, listen up. Uh, laundry powder is not for dishwashers, okay? It's out of place in the kitchen. It's not meant to be there. Laundry powder is for laundry. Um, it's kind of like this, the cow in this photo here, right? It's not meant to be there. It's out of place, isn't it? That's not, that's not what cows are supposed to The chapter we just read in the Bible, and in fact, the next few chapters after it, are kind of like that. They are out of place. Did it strike you as strange that they were there? Because think about it for a moment. So <clears throat> we've been reading through Ezekiel. Ezekiel, uh, he lived 2,600 years ago. He's a Jewish man, but he's not living in the land of Judah. He's living in Babylon because he's been taken into exile with about 10,000 other Jews. And, and when he's in exile, though, God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet. He is to prophesy to the Jews and to tell the Jews what God wanted them to hear. So you can see why these chapters are strange. It's not written to the Jews at all. This is written, as you heard Elizabeth read, it's written to nations like Ammon and Moab and Edom and the Philistines. And if we kept going on, we'd hear more nations that it was written to, not the Jews. In fact, chapters 25 to 32 are all about the other nations and not Judah. So we read these chapters and we should be thinking, these are out of place. It's not, not meant to be. It's like laundry powder in the kitchen, like cows in the oceans. What's it doing here? Why is it here for us? That's really what we're going to ask today. Why are these chapters here in Ezekiel? Uh, firstly, I just want to take a, a brief look at actually what's in the chapters themselves. And then I'm going to ask, why are they here? And why is it important for us to see them here as well today? So chapters 25 to 32 is really what we're dealing with this week. And in these chapters, Ezekiel speaks against the other nations around Judah. So you've got Judah there in the middle on the map there. Uh, that just to the north of them is the kingdom of Israel. By the time of Ezekiel, the kingdom of Israel has been decimated. But Ezekiel starts with the nation of Ammon and then moves all the way around and talks about the other nations, Moab and then Edom and then Philistia. This is where we got up to at the end of chapter 25, but it keeps going on, talking to Tyre and Sidon, two important city-states up to the north there. And then after all of these nearby nations, Ezekiel speaks against the great ancient enemy Egypt in chapters 29 to 32. And here is the thing, the big thing, that, Israel, uh, that, that, that Ezekiel says to them, they are guilty too. 
Just like last week in chapters 4 to 24, we saw that Judah was guilty before God. Here too now, these other nations are guilty before God. Why? Because sin has infected them like it infected Judah. So Tyre was involved in dishonest trade. Down in Egypt, Pharaoh had become proud. Or back in Tyre again, it was a place that had become full of violence. See, sin is festering in these other nations just like it was in Judah. But the main thing actually that God calls them out for is these other nations have treated the Jews badly. I'm going to put a whole bunch of references on the screen there. You can look them up later if you want. But Ammon took joy in Judah's downfall. The Moabites mocked the Jews. The Edomites took revenge against Judah. The Philistines sought to destroy the Jews. Tyre wanted to prosper over Judah's downfall. And so overall, in chapter 28, verse 24, Israel's direct neighbors are called malicious. They're like painful breeze, sharp thorns. And then that great nation, Egypt, down further south. They, they had been an ancient enemy toward Israel. But more recently, the two countries had actually been allies. But Egypt failed as an ally. Egypt failed Judah when it counted. So in chapter 29, Judah is likened to a walking stick, one that's supposed to support you and help you. But when Judah leaned on Egypt, her walking stick, there was no support. And Judah fell. So through Ezekiel, God is saying that these nations are guilty. And so God is going to come against them in judgment, just like he did for Judah. And in particular, God says he's going to come against them in judgment. And he will use the great nation of Babylon against these other nations. Babylon will be the one to come and destroy them, just like Babylon was to destroy Judah. So the message is loud and clear here in, in, in chapters 25 to 32. It's saying, just like Judah, these other nations are guilty. Right. That's a really brief summary of what's in chapters 25 to 32. Okay? Now, secondly then, why are they here? Why is this in Ezekiel? I mean, sure, he, he, he prophesied these things, so it was written down here. But actually, from what we can tell, he never spoke these prophecies to the other nations. They never got to hear what Ezekiel had to say. In fact, it seems most likely that the other nations were never even meant to hear what Ezekiel had to say. Take a look at what one commentator said. He said, there's no evidence that these oracles were actually delivered to the nations addressed or were ever intended to be. So you think, well, what's it doing here then? What's the point of all of this? So he goes on. The real audience for these oracles is the Judean listener. It's not actually written for these other nations to hear. It's there so the Jews will hear this. You think, well, why? It's got nothing to do with the Jews. It's about their neighbors. Why do the Jews need to hear what God's got to say to them? And actually, there's a few really good reasons. This is what we're going to duck into now for the rest of the talk. These chapters in Ezekiel show us that God is not unfair. God is not a God of double standards. 
So for a moment, try and imagine yourself being a Jew back then, one of God's people. And you've heard Ezekiel's message. You've heard him speak. And he's told you, you know, you've sinned. You've, you've, you've messed things up badly. And so well, you're now under God's judgment. Imagine that's you as a Jew. How are you feeling? Probably feeling pretty chastened, humbled. It's making you feel down. But, but then you start to look at the other people around you, the other nations nearby. And you think, sure, we might not be that great, but crikey, God, look at them, God. What about them? They aren't doing so well either. In fact, they're riddled with much the same sin as us. So, so why, God, aren't you doing something about them? Why pick on us? Uh, kids, they, they learn about fairness pretty quickly. You know, in my experience, you don't need to teach kids about fairness. They just get it. That's not fair. But he did this to me. Oh, but she started it. I mean, my kids aren't like that. Definitely not. No way at all. But I mean, most other kids are, aren't they? Yeah, right. But God is showing people here that he is fair. He is just. There aren't double standards when it comes to God. He doesn't treat his people, he doesn't give his people special preferential treatment and he treats the other nations like they're dregs. No, he treats people fairly. And in fact, this is what we, what we want in a God, isn't it? We, we want a God who's fair, who, who, who doesn't play favorites, a God who doesn't have double standards or play teacher's pets with anyone. This is in Ezekiel here because it's commending God to us. He is just and fair to everyone. He is a good God. But there's also um, something frightening about these, these verses, isn't there? If God is, is going to, to judge the sin of everyone and treat everyone the same, that means something about me, that, that all my sin, all my failings and shortcomings, that the wrong things I've said, the wrong things I've thought, every little moment of anger, it's going to come to light. It'll be exposed before God. And not just for me, but for all of us. When that happens, friends, what's your hope? What, what thing do you, do, do you really hope for? What's going to get you through? That you'll be good enough for God? That, that, that he will see the depths of what is in your heart even more clearly than you do. And he'll say, yeah, great, no problems here. Great. Come on in. I, I think we all get that that's just not true of us, is it? That would be, that'd be self-deception. So what's our hope then? It has to be in Jesus, doesn't it? It has to be in Jesus. That, that because of what he did, I'm safe with God. That, that, that my, my eternity does not rest on me and my performance, but on him and what he's done. Isn't that true hope, friends? Certain hope. Have your hope in Jesus. So these chapters are here to show us that God is not an unfair God. But they also show us that God is the Lord 
everywhere. Now, a bit of background here. See, back when Ezekiel was writing, when he was speaking and prophesying, there was this idea called, we now call it, henotheism. Uh, Henotheism is the idea that there are lots of gods out there, but you serve one god. And it's not the god of your choice. You serve the god whose land you live in. So let me give you a couple of examples. If, if you're an Ammonite, we heard about them before. If you're an Ammonite, you serve the god called Molech because Molech has power in the area where you live. But if you're one of the Philistines, you serve a god called Dagon because Dagon has power where the Philistines live. And then if you're a Jew, well, you serve Yahweh, the god of the Bible, because he has power in your land. You get the idea? Lots of gods... But you serve the God who is Lord in the place where you live. That was the idea back then. And so what it meant for them is is when you go to war with another nation, sure, your army goes and fights against the other nation's army, but actually it's a battle of the gods. The gods are fighting against each other and, and your God fights with you. If he's stronger, he'll defeat the other God, which means the other army will lose and you'll win. Hooray, yes. But if you lost in battle, it's because your God lost. He He just you know, wasn't powerful enough, at least on the day. And so another God has defeated him, perhaps even killed him. So if you're a Jew then, who's, who's been taken away to exile in the land of Babylon, just like Ezekiel has been, that means your God has lost. He wasn't powerful enough and he got beaten up by the God of the Babylonians called Marduk. At least... That's what the people back then thought. As we read through these chapters in Ezekiel, chapters 25 to 32, they show us one thing very clearly. That is just not right. There can be no mistaking this. Henotheism is not true because God is the Lord everywhere he's not dead he's not even been defeated he's the lord over everywhere he's the god over the nations that are around israel he's god over the great ancient enemy egypt he's even god over babylon remember it's god that brings babylon against egypt against tyre and against anyone that's why these chapters are here friends they show us that god is the lord everywhere And I read this and I can, can, can look back at the people who were in Ezekiel's day and I think, they were a bit silly, weren't they? Like, yeah, of course God is God everywhere. That's what it means to be God, isn't it? And maybe they were just a bit slower back then. It took them a bit longer to learn this kind of stuff. But then I stopped and I remember, I can actually be guilty of this kind of thing too. God is the God everywhere. But then there are, there are times in life or, or, or sometimes even places that I'm at And I'm just not sure that God really is God here. This doesn't feel like that. Do you ever get that feeling too? Maybe you feel it in your your workplace or or the the, the, the schoolyard or your uni class. You know, someone makes a joke about believing in God or or someone criticizes people who have faith and call it stupid or something. And well, at that moment, I just feel like I want to keep my head down and try and shrink so that no one notices I'm there and ask me what I think. Because in that moment, sometimes I'm just not really sure that God has got my back, that God is there with me. 
Are there, are there times and places where, where, where you feel like that, friends? Of course, we do know that God is Lord everywhere, don't we? We do believe that. We are confident of that. So we just want to keep letting that shape us. How would that shape your evangelism? Knowing that God is the Lord wherever you are. Wherever you go, he is there with you and he is Lord there. How's it going to shape things like your prayers? Knowing that God is Lord everywhere and over everything. So there is nothing that you can't bring before him in prayer. Nothing that he doesn't have power in. Friends, there are other reasons, but, 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 but these are two key reasons why these chapters are here. They remind the Jewish people, and they remind us too, God is not a God who's unfair. He is just and fair. There is no favoritism with him. And he is the Lord everywhere. There is nowhere where we can go in all creation that God is not God. There's one more thing I want to touch on today, though. Now, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you would have noticed there's been a lot of judgment. Um, and especially if you've been following along in the reading guides, you've seen a lot of God's judgment in the last couple of weeks. And it, it's been heavy. Did you notice that there's something more to this than just judgment? God does judge, but there's a purpose behind this. Did you see? It's that God wants people to know him, to know that he is Lord. So last week we were in chapters 4 to 24. God is speaking a word of judgment against Judah. And, and what does he say will come of this judgment? What does God say? Well, look back, chapter 11, verse 10. God speaking to the Jews says, You will fall by the sword. I'll execute judgment on, you, judgment on you at the borders of Israel. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. Or chapter 12, verse 20. The inhabited towns will be laid waste. The land will be desolate. And then you'll know that I am the Lord. And on it goes. 26 more times. This is what God says to his people, the Jews. That was last week. That, this week we get to 25 to 32, and we see God speaking a word of judgment against these other nations as well. And that same phrase is repeated again. So God speaks to Ammon in 25 verse 5, and he says, I will turn rubber, that's a, that's a city in Ammon, I will turn rubber into pasture for camels, and Ammon into a resting place for sheep. Then what? Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Or to, to Moab in, in 25 verse 11, God says, and I will inflict punishment on Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And on it goes, the references are on the screen there, to Edom, to Philistia, to Tyre, to Sidon, to the immediate surrounding neighboring countries, and then to Egypt. Again and again, God says 18 times in eight chapters, this is what God says to the nations, I'm going to judge you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. See, God's punishment, his judgment, it's right and proper because people had sinned. But this isn't just God, you know, smiting for the sake of it. There's a purpose behind all of this. God judges so that people will know him and perhaps then turn back to him. See, in these chapters, we catch a glimpse of God's heart for the world. A glimpse in Ezekiel 
but we see it in its fullness in Jesus. What is God's heart for the world? That the nations, that people everywhere would know him, their God. There's a, um, there's a stereotype that goes around about Christianity, that Christianity is for, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be a Christian, you're probably going to be white, probably older, probably middle class, probably man. God's the God of the white old guys, old white guys. But it's just not true, is it? We see here, God is the God of all nations and all people everywhere. It doesn't matter if, if, if you're black or white or Arab or Asian, if you're indigenous Australian or if you've come here since. All the nations, that is God's heart. And actually, you can see this working out today. The typical Christian is not a white, middle-class guy from America. But in fact, these days, it's much more likely to be a black woman from Africa. God's heart is for all nations, all people everywhere to know him so if that's god's heart we want to have that heart too as a church we want other people to know god no matter who they are people who are likeless people who are different to us we want people to know god even if it's costly for us even if it means uh, change needs to take place even if it means we don't always get things the way we'd like them to be Because we want to have God's heart, that people would know him. As a church, we're we're particularly keen to reach into these northern suburbs around us. We would love to see so many more in this area come to know God. And we'd love to see God use us for that. We'd love to, in the next five to ten years, be able to send a church plant further up north somewhere. You know, maybe Salisbury, maybe Elizabeth. Uh, we, We want to do that. Not so we can say, yeah, hey, look how good we are. We planted a church, but, but so that more people will know God through that new church. This is something we are passionate about, and we're not going to stop being passionate about it. But God's not just on about this little part of Adelaide, is it? Yeah, he's got much bigger vision than that, which is why we love having mission partners who are all across the world. So, so it's why we want to partner. We, we love getting behind the Purdy family, and we love sending them off to Chile so that more people in Chile and, and, and then through them through the whole of South America might know God. And that's why we want to get behind Anya, who's just up at Mawson Lakes here at the Unity. We want to support her because you know students come from everywhere to study in this one place. So, so we're really glad to be able to have Anya there. So through her, these people might end up all over the world again, but knowing God. God's heart is that all people would know him. We just want to have that heart too, don't we? The question is, though, what if I realize I actually don't have that heart? I just, it might be hard to me, but I don't have that desire within me. In my head, I get that it's good. Yes, I'm on board with that. But it doesn't really shape me. It doesn't really shape my desires or shape how I live. I'm just not really that driven to see other people get to know God. What if I find that that's where I'm like? What do I do? Friends, I, don't, I want to say, don't despair. I just want to give you a, a few quick ideas. Maybe some of these will help you uh, if, if that's you. If that's you, firstly, can I say pray? This is the most important thing I'll say. Pray and pray that God would change your hearts and change your desires. Pray that he will give you his heart for the nations. 
And secondly, then, I want to say, chat to a friend. Um, find a friend you have who does have this heart, who, 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 who has God's heart there, and just ask them about it. Um, you know, what do they do? What, what, what do they love about this? Talk to them. Get, you to give, get, get them to give you some of their tips and hints of, of how they go about things. Thirdly, then, think about what you would do. This is where you need to use your imagination. So imagine you're in a, in a position where maybe you're at work, maybe you're a bunch of friends or something like that, and someone asks you about what you believe or someone asks you about one of the hot topics of the day. Just, just think about what are the kind of things that you could say? How could you respond? What would it look like in that moment to help other people get to know God? Think about it for yourself beforehand. Then fourthly, be ready to give it a go. Uh, when the opportunity presents itself, take it. And afterwards, find, find some time to reflect on, on what happened. How did it go? What went well? What would you do different next time? Maybe this is something that you could talk about with your friend from, from point number two earlier. Chat with them about, about how it went. And number five, this is the last one, um, invite. Some of us are always going to find it a little bit tricky. Some of us might find that we're, we're never really great at speaking about God with other people. But again, friends, don't despair. Keep trying and, 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 and growing in this. But remember, you can always make an invite. Just invite someone to church or, or to, to the life series when we do that or, or something like this. Because um, it's great that you don't have to do all the talking. Then you, you can let someone else do it and you can just follow up and listen to your friend afterwards. And of course, if you invite, not everyone will say yes, but stats show us that actually a lot of people do. Do you know a survey was done a little while ago? That's just one study, but, but in, this, in this study, 86% of people who go to church, do you know why they were there? Because someone, one of their friends, just invited them along. Friends, be ready to make an invite. God's heart is for people all over the world to know him. That's a beautiful thing. We want to have that heart. In fact, why don't I, why don't I end by praying that, that God will keep giving us this heart for, for the nations as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you want people to know you. Please give us that heart and desire. Please help us have opportunities to express that and speak to others about you. Please use us, even us in our weak and fallible words, even us when we mess up and think back later and realize we should have said something else. Please use us so that more people would get to know you. And please use our church so that Paraka and its surrounds and, 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 and more and more people in Adelaide's north would come to know Jesus as their Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.